Time to throw over the middle. Juju Smith-Schuster wide open, 25-20. Jukes to safety, 10, gets a block. Angling near side, pylon, touchdown, Kansas City. It is yards after catch all day long. A 45-yard touchdown reception by Juju Smith-Schuster. That was the sound of the Chiefs just running all over the 49ers and affirming Kansas City's increasingly rare status as genuine contender in a sport that is now full of uh, just rude surprises. Like the fact that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers can both get outdueled by XFL alumni on the very same, very cruel Sunday. So today... We give you your week seven edition of Quarterback Confidential with Alex Smith, who tells us what we do not understand about his old teammate, Travis Kelsey. What is so frustrating about these Tampa Bay Bucks and what Tua should or should not do now that he's returned. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, October 24th. This is ESPN Daily. Alex Smith, it is 11.37 p.m. Eastern. We're going to timestamp this because we just sat through Dolphins Steelers. And we'll get to like the good games that we saw in week seven. But I want to start with actually just the Tua Tungavailoa aspect of this game, obviously, because this is, you could argue, the biggest story in the NFL this season. We have talked to you about head trauma and you've taken us inside the concussion protocol before. And I just want to know what you saw from him as the Dolphins, yeah, survived the Steelers to win this game tonight. I mean, I think I was uh, not alone in saying that I, I was wondering if it was too soon, you know, for him to come back. Right. You know, what I believed appears he had two concussions in five days a couple weeks ago and, and really felt like big picture here, if he's the future of your, your, you know, your organization and he'd been playing so well that... What, why risk it? You know, here he should he should sit for a couple more weeks. But I think, I think they were adamant. From what I understand, he got several uh, second and third and you know, four opinions, and I think was symptom free. And we've talked about how much this is symptom based, and they decided to give it a go. And I I think obviously extremely happy uh, that he was able to go out there and and play football and and. Uh, be healthy, and he took some hits and uh, looked fine. And, and I think that's a big step. Big step for him, big step for this team. Because, um, uh, yeah, you certainly, you know, who knows what another setback would have meant at this point. And here was a guy that was leading the NFL in QBR when he got hurt. I mean, I don't think people realize mm-hmm. how good he was playing. Had the Dolphins undefeated, basically, they would beat the Bills and the Ravens. I mean, these guys were rolling incredibly explosive and and uh good to see him back out on the field i thought he operated well i mean he came out like gangbusters that opening drive i thought we were gonna thought it was gonna be fireworks uh all night and uh you know obviously Same. turned into uh not, not that um, it was a slog man yes, i mean was. Look, this was a 16 10 dolphins win and as you said three games after that game against the Bengals in which Tua gets concussed the second time. And so, look, there's a lot of, 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 I guess we could talk about the Steelers and Kenny Pickett. I don't really want to do that with you. No. I actually just want to focus in here on, on Tua and how he seemed determined 
to show that he was not just back, but like ready and looking forward to physical contact in this game. I mean, the other topic we've talked about with you at length here is is the art, or in your case, the lack of art when it came to sliding yep. and, and the QB sneak and all this stuff. What did you see from Tua on that front? I actually didn't mind as a couple of times he was aggressive going head first in those situations. Obviously, I think you learn situationally as a quarterback on, on when it actually is appropriate to take some of those risks as a runner. Um, typically, for the most part, it's not really there. And you, I, I just think this is a guy that's played football his entire life and you want to maintain being an athlete. And I would just prefer him to protect himself being an athlete. And that is not sliding feet first, something that, I mean, we're not baseball players and we so often do this in traffic. And all of a sudden it takes just one over-aggressive defender and the repercussions of 15-yard penalty, right? And that's that's not really even, you know, here for a guy that's had a couple concussions and all of a sudden you slide in traffic and a guy tees off on you, right? That that That's not really a fair trade. I think a lot of the defenders would take that. You keep on mentioning like the steps the two needs to take. I do want to return to what I think you were you were just saying they were observing, which is that sliding, actually, speaking of how to literally take steps on the field, you're saying that sliding actually can be more dangerous than, than the other way to do it. thousand percent is what I'm saying. I am a huge proponent of not sliding as a quarterback. I mean, certainly, don't get me wrong. If you have an open scramble for a first down and there's not a soul around you and you're running and you're going to get down to kill a clock, slide, sure. Uh, if, if you're at all in traffic and you're a runner, maintain being a runner and get down head first. I still am saying protect yourself mm. and get down aggressively, but don't do it passively sliding, right? And all of a sudden there's bodies around you. And again, all it takes is one defender who is overly aggressive and tees off on you. And now you're in this incredibly vulnerable position. Well, you've you've ex, you've experienced this dynamic yourself is what you're also testifying to here. Yeah, without a doubt. And and I never slid again really in the rest of my career moving forward. Mm. And I wish I would have learned, learned it a, a lot younger because I just don't think it's the safest thing. Again, you're you're it's not what we do. Right, right. So basically what you're saying is that if you're going to be out there as Tua is now back out there 3 games since the hit, do it in a way that yeah, that that keeps you in in some sense of a, a comfort zone because that ends up being safer than trying to totally change and and do things that are unnatural to you as as an athlete. I think you got to be incredibly smart situationally, right? Getting the ball out and knowing when to get down. But I think you have to match that aggressiveness, mm. right? You have to match it with protecting yourself, and I think you have to protect yourself with urgency. So I almost didn't mind sometimes when he was in traffic that he had his foot on the gas pedal, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, lowered his shoulder, think, yeah. Yeah, I actually think that was better than him being passive and apprehensive in those situations because I think that's when bad things happen. You relax, and all of a sudden, again, you, you, you know, it just takes one mistake from somebody in a you know different colored jersey. Yeah, all right, Alex. We're going to slide into this break, unfortunately, for a quick <laughs> second, then when we get back, we'll get to yes... The Alex Smith Bowl, as all of America needs to call it. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value, 
Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Alex, in name, Sunday was National Tight Ends Day. And, and obviously, Travis Kelsey versus George Kittle, Chiefs at Niners, is a pretty good case study for it. But we consider this more than anything here at this podcast. The Alex Smith Bowl, as we do every year. These are your two former teams, two of them at least. And this was a close game until it wasn't. And that's kind of the story of this Chiefs offense, is that it's close until somehow... They literally and figuratively jet sweep away from their opponent. And so it ends up being 44 to 23. And again, I just want to start by just noticing how absurd it is that your old team in Kansas City just doesn't really seem to miss your old number one receiver, Tyreek Hill. But what does your brain go to when you watch a game like this? I, I think for me, the thing that jumped out right away was this offensive line, the Chiefs offensive line. And I'll never forget last year when I decided to become a media member, Pablo, and I, the first, my first assignment with ESPN was to go out and interview Patrick one-on-one. Yes. Uh, for this like QB to QB sit down. And this was right off the heels of their Super Bowl loss to the Bucks, in which that offensive line got absolutely uh, demolished. And, and we spent an entire off season, I think, taking note of that. And I'll never forget in the interview and even on the side, just how confident Patrick was with this new revamp offensive line. You know, they made the big trade to get Orlando mm. Brown. They had a huge free agent signing in Joe Thune. I think I'm saying his name right. <laughs> and uh, a big draft pick in Creed Humphrey. He was one of the best, better centers in football. And I remember him just saying how, how different it was going to be, that they're going to be able to run the ball finally, that this offensive line had a physicality to them. And I honestly kind of feel like we're seeing the fruits of that for all the talk of losing maybe the most explosive, fastest person on the planet, that this offense and team is actually better. It's crazy, man. That is that is crazy. <laughs> and I just look at, I, I think when you can keep a guy like Patrick that clean, I mean, besides the one sack that Nick Bosa had in the second half, I mean, there really wasn't much pressure all day. And you back running back by committee. You know, we saw Jarek McKinnon make big plays today, a huge third and 20 conversion. Clyde Edward Alaire ran a ball in. Oh, McCole Hardman fly sweeped him to death, like you said. And we still haven't mentioned maybe the, the best tight end of all time in Travis Kelsey. So, like, take your pick. They're so much more balanced. They were running the ball incredibly efficient today. And then you just again you give Patrick back there at the helm. Uh, that kind of time. And then again. Oh, yeah, they were playing the number one defense in the NFL with the best pressure front in the NFL. And it was it was honestly an incredibly dominant performance on the heels of obviously a tough loss last week to the Bills. And, and uh, man, they they definitely rebounded. Uh, I thought this was a big statement win. 
Yeah, I want to follow up, though, on just how it is that this team gets better without Tyreek Hill and what the offensive line really does. Because I'm just going to boil this down into, like, my simplistic, non-expert mind here. And it sounds like you're saying that a good offensive line, which this team did not have while Patrick Mahomes was becoming, like, the best quarterback on the planet, that actually is preferable to you as a quarterback than, yes, the fastest man in the world. I think so. They tried to fill that role with these, <laughs> you know, I don't want to call them, um, you know, B-level actors in there that, you know, to fill in for this main role, <laughs> you know, these supporting actors. No, they but got they, these three, the supporting right, cast. Supporting actors yeah, is these right. Supporting yes. cast to fill in and, and uh, they've done it. I mean, just look at it today. I mean, it was. No, it's, it's, a, it's a relay team instead of the one guy yeah, dominating ex- the 100 exactly. meter Exactly. And I just think, again, they're just not one dimensional. And then you add in the misdirection and the creativity of an Andy Reid and his play calling. Um, you saw what it, I mean, when, against, again, this was strength versus strength. This was the number one scoring offense versus the number one defense. And it wasn't even close today. Well, let's get into the creativity of Andy Reid that you just mentioned because the jet sweep, the fly sweep, as you called it, I want to understand this play better because this was the way that McCole Hardman, you know, ran it in from 25 yards out and then from three yards out, scoring two touchdowns. He also caught another ball for a score that was technically, I think, a forward pass on a jet sweep, but might as well have been like just another another one of these just sort of Andy Reid's playbook, him chefing up some stuff in the kitchen. Explain the jet sweep. Explain why this is so effective. I mean, it starts... With, with the fact that everything looks the same. There's a lot of jet sweep motions on a lot of plays if you watch Kansas City's offense. And more often than not, they're just kind of a little eye distraction, you know? And every so often, they call the number. But I, I, I do think it really boils down to this. Half the time, it's getting called with multiple plays, Pablo. So it, they're not running the jet sweep into a bad look, if that makes any sense. As a quarterback, when you're coming up to the line and you, know, you have a jet sweep called with an internal running play, you know, basically you have an A and a B as a quarterback. You have criteria all week as you come up and you look to the edge and you're scanning it that if the jet sweep looks good and you get the right look, you're running it. If not, you're changing the play and all of a sudden the viewer has no idea, the defense has no idea, and all of a sudden you're running the ball up the middle. And then again, I just think that that watching the Chiefs today, everything just looks the same, right? I mean, Right. I mean, disguise you disguise is what you're talking about, how to fool the defense. Yes. Well, they just can't get a beat on you, right? I mean, it's not like every time McCole Hardman runs in motion that he's getting a fly sweep. He does it a lot. Half the time they do it, he's there to fake them, and they're dumping some little screen off to Travis Kelsey or somebody else. You know, they just, they really make it so hard to defend. And more often than not, again, with the, with the fly sweep motion going, half the time it's a downhill run. So the threat of all those things just make it so hard to defend. Handoff goes to the right side on a jet sweep. McCole Hardman, 15 inside the 10, breaks a tackle, stays in bounds, and hops into the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City. It is a jet sweep of 25 yards. I do think it goes back to that structure, right? They're never running them into bad looks. You saw that today. Three for three uh, for three touchdowns. I know one of them was a pass, but it was essentially a fly sweep uh, from the shotgun. And... It's that, and that's just a little wrinkle of this offense, right? And, and yep. you look at how lethal it was today uh, going for three touchdowns. And it's really just, it's just kind of something to keep the defense accountable, Pablo. It's not even, <laughs> it's not even really a core of the offense at all. Yeah, well, hold on though, because I'm curious when you talk about how the goal here is to look the same 
every time or as much as you can and then do many different things such that they can't predict where you're going to go and what you're going to do. How do you as a quarterback, right? I'm interested in the theater of, of these plays. Like, what is your job as a quarterback to help sell this thing? How do you figure in to the unfolding of, of this specific device? In particular with the fly sweep? Well, half the time it's, it's incorporated, like I said, into a, all your run game. You know, like half the time he's just there running by and you're turning and running, you know, inside zone or outside mm. zone the other direction. And really the biggest mechanic as a quarterback is the timing. And there is a subtlety here, right? To really timing this all up. And this is this, and what I'm talking about here is obviously you're the one that's given the indicator to start the motion. You're the one that's controlling that timing with the speed of your cadence. And there is a lot of variance that you can do there. And I think that it's your ability to make these look all the same from that timing aspect that that has the best effect. And the reason those that the three today went for touchdowns is because again, going back, that they looked identical to the ones when he was handing it off to the running back and, and McCall Hardman was just there to, <laughs> you know, like I said, distract the defense. It, it, it's crazy to say that. I mean, it's, it's again, right. Jet Sweep, this a few years ago, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, this was kind of a, a novice college offensive scheme. And now to see it in the NFL and to, and to, uh, to see like what it did today, right? I mean, again, three for three. Uh, especially down in the red zone where it's so hard to score. And it's to be able to stretch the field uh, horizontally like that, I think, uh, and get the ball to obviously a, a really talented playmaker like that in Hardman. Uh, we may not see it again. They might not even run it next week, right? It'll disappear until uh, until it pops its head up uh, the next time. Well, look, you ran you ran this playbook or a version of it, right? At least. And, and I'm curious when you watch Andy Reid dial up this stuff, what makes you laugh the most? Because I was watching this game like, oh, he called a screen on third and 20 and they converted it to set up the touchdown. That to me is hilarious. But as the guy who once piloted this offense, what makes you just chuckle? I think the, the simplicity of it, because when you're in it, it's very simple. Mm. You know, but from an outsider perspective, again, when you look at it and you look at it the looks shifts and motions, you confusing. look at all the misdirection. Yeah, they just, they got... It looks like a thousand things going on. And when you're in it, and that's really the brilliance of Andy Reid, it's really, really simple. Um, mm. and, and I think all great offensive minds are like that, that they just have an ability to simplify the game and make it easy. And when you're in it, it, it doesn't seem like a lot of volume. Honestly, it, it, you would laugh because like, when you're in it, it, it doesn't... Like I've been in... Played with a lot of other offense coordinators. I've had, had quite a few in my career. Yes. And, and had and and Andy Reid probably has the 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 smallest game plans of any offense coordinator or offensive mind that I've played for. Mm. They're the they're the they're the the, the tightest, uh, smallest. They all fit together, but like he doesn't have a lot of excess. There's just it's there's not a lot of volume in his game plans. They're really neat and tidy, and again they marry and it it it, it does look the same. And I think that's the brilliance of it. Um, and a lot of the the pieces are interchangeable you know, on, on who's doing what, but, uh, you know, oftentimes it's, it's, it's really, really simple. And I think that's what makes it so effective too, is because, uh, if it was a ton of volume, right, it would be hard. It'd be hard to execute that, that much. Um, but the way he builds it and teaches it and installs it that, you know, especially at the quarterback position, it it's, it's laughable watching, I, you know, watching today and being able to call plays out on TV because still, still running the same ones. I was going to say, how much of it is the same stuff that you were running? I mean, I've thrown the dump 
the dump screen to Jarek McKinnon there on third and 20 numerous times in my career, Pablo. <laughs> and the brilliance of that one is that they chip, they chip the edges and the, the formation looks the same and they do that all the time as well. And uh, just when you're least suspecting it, uh, you know, he, he times that up and that goes to the brilliance of Andy as well, that, that all great call, play callers. It's the timing too, right? It's not, it's not how they build these game plans. It's just having such a good feel for the game, when to dial up certain things. Um, and he and he was in in uh, proper form today, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, the other aspect of this offense that has remained the same is Travis Kelsey. And you played with him. You called him maybe the greatest tight end to ever play. And, and I'm fascinated by what makes him so. Right. Like yep, this yep. is this is the National yeah. Tight Ends Day aspect of the conversation. Now we talked about Jason Kelsey last week, but now we talk about Travis, his brother. What does he allow you to do as a quarterback that makes him this ridiculous? Yeah. You know, not <laughs> the tight end position is so nuanced. And 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 I think that's what's really at the core of what Kelsey and Kittle are trying to do with really promoting this National Tight End Day is that these guys, these guys do a lot. They do more than any position on offense. That's for sure. Right. Um, there's not an aspect of offensive football that these guys aren't integral. And it looks very different, right? They're involved in the run game blocking. They're involved in the pass game blocking. They're involved a ton into shifts and motions. They're involved, uh, obviously, a ton in, in the route running. But then, Pablo, if you looked at, like, the pass game, and this especially for, like, West Coast offense, if you looked up, like, if you just showed, like, a general formation, uh, with like one tight end, two backs, and you know, and, and and a receiver on each side outside. And these were like, you know, very base 101 West Coast plays. The receiver routes are like very concrete, right? Like, hey, they're running slants or they're running comebacks or they're running go routes. Like, yeah. Occasionally they have tweaks to them, you know, depending on the looks they get, um, they can change. But 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 for the most part, what you're calling is what they're running. When you when you would look at the tight end route, literally like what gets drawn up, he's got like six different dash dotted lines going different directions, and because he can like, you know, if, the, if it's a two eye safety, he's going to run down the middle, and if it's a one eye safety, he's going to hang a left and run away. But if it's man, he's going to stay on the run, and if it's zone, he's going to hook it up. But he could hook it up in different windows. Oh, and if they blitz, he's also your hot guy, so he can break it off. So like, it's kind of comical if I, you know, if the viewers could see this that. All these other position players are like running di very distinct routes. And the tight end has got like seven options on every pass play. <laughs> I, I like the idea that all of these receivers are kind of like regional airports where it's very obvious, like coming in and coming out. And then you have the hub, the hub that is Travis Kelsey having to make all of these decisions like in air traffic control. Yeah. And he's he's got to make them on the fly. They happen pre-snap and post-snap. Um, and I think the beauty that makes Travis... So special. It's first off, I mean, he's a physical freak. I mean, this guy's six six. I mean, this guy is a power forward playing tight end. Oh, yeah, he was also a high school quarterback and got recruited to Cincinnati as a quarterback. So I think he has such a great view of the game and understanding of the game that, like, again, when I go to all those, you know, six options that he has on every pass play, he gets that. I mean, he's played quarterback, he understands it so fast. He, uh, processes all that so fast and then the thing i think that really separates travis is travis always adds a little extra sauce on there pablo like if if let's say on a i'm being very realistic on this 
let's say <laughs> he had four options on the route play given, like that we call it in the huddle. Yeah. That that's what was built in the offense. Well, for Travis, four really means like seven. Like he's going to add, he's going to improvise three extra ones that just to get open. And you'll be like, why'd you do that? And like, I don't know. It was open, you know, like, <laughs> and I'll never forget when he was, you know, obviously I got him at the, the start of his NFL career. And I had never played with a tight end like that that just could improvise as well as he did. And it was hard for me at first. Like, I'm like, no, you can't do that, Travis. You're breaking the rules. Like, that's not allowed. You know, like, how am I supposed to know where you're going? Like, I don't know that and there's... there's Right. I'm, this is my logical question, too. Like, this seems to be making life harder in some sense. Yeah, and it would make me really uncomfortable. And I'll never forget, I think it was like his second year with us. And we had kind of hit a, a, a bit of a slump on offense. And I remember going in the day after like a tough game. Like we didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a great day the day before. And sitting down with Matt Nagy, who was the OC. And I remember we just kind of watched Travis. <laughs> and, I, and Pablo, I could have thrown the ball to him on every play. Like every single play. And I remember <laughs> that like, you know, Nagy and I just sitting there and like, it's like, well, that Travis is open again. And then like, Oh, next play. He's not supposed to get open on this play, like by design, but he's still open. You know, it just like, it was one play after another, after another, and after another. And the number one thing, and I, I still don't forget it. I, I, we walked out of that meeting and the, the, main, the, main, the main thing I gained from it was throw it to Travis. Like when in doubt, let's, let's throw this guy the ball more because <laughs> he's going to make you right. He's a, he's a special, special guy. It was, it was fun to kind of try to see them, get him over 100 yards at the end of the game. But uh, to get to watch on National Tight End Day to see him and you know him and Kittle going at it, who are, are you know two of the best uh, maybe ever, it was uh, was obviously uh, fitting that it, that it was today on National Tight End Day. The tight ends of America need you as their spokesman now, Alex, because this is not an understanding that I had until now. I'd always just sort of been like, yeah, that's the security blanket, safety valve, kind of like uh, almost like borderline meathead kind of position where it's just like, they're the guys that help you out when everything else goes wrong. And what you're saying is that these are in some sense like football nerds who understand the game as well as the most cerebral guys that we that we like to think of. I think that's the first time Travis Kelsey's ever been called a cerebral nerd, but in in a in a in a football <laughs> way of thinking, yes, he is, Pablo. So after the break, speaking of people who have titles that we need to debate, we get to what the greatest of all time and maybe the second greatest of all time at quarterback are up to now. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive 
eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, man, like it, it was ugly today, Alex. And, and just statistically speaking, historically speaking, their teams are both now three and four on the season. And since Aaron Rodgers became a starter in 08, their teams have never been this bad simultaneously this deep into the season. And I want to start with the Rodgers part of this, of this whole thing, because he lost to your other, other old team, the commanders. And I want to start with just the number zero, because the number zero represents how many third downs total that the Packers were able to convert all game against Washington. And this had never happened before with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, perhaps unsurprisingly. Can you just explain for us in the way that you do, um, tell us about the importance of third down, right? Something that's maybe obvious to you, but less obvious to, to the listener and what that offer says as a result of that. Oh man. I mean, a lot there like that, the stat, even the third down stat, it is one of the stats that has the biggest correlation, I think, to kind of offensive performance and defensive performance on that on the flip side of it. With that, if, if you are 0 for 6, there's not a lot of third and ones in there or third and twos, you know, when you're 0 for 6. They're like, they're, they're, it's typically because you're in bad third downs, which means you're bad on first and second down. So, hey, now we're in a third and long. <laughs> but if you do it, like convert, like, here we go. Like, I mean, you know, if, if all of a sudden, you know, first down run, second down incompletion is third and 10 and you go convert, it's such a big momentum changer, right? To get a brand new set of downs, here we go. Mm. But if you're going three and out, it's so choppy. You never get into a rhythm. You never get into a flow of the game. And so, and third downs on the flip side of that, if you convert them, you know, our, hey, our third down play just worked. We're going right back into our our base game plan, the, the, like our good stuff that we want to get to, right? They were like trying to set up, hey, we're trying to run this stretch run because we're going to come back later and hit them with this big play action pass we've been scheming up all week. Like you can get to all that stuff, right? Like all this great kind of ammunition you've been saving up as a play caller to like dial up, so to speak. If you don't convert again on third down, uh, you just you just can't even get to any of it, right? Like you you never get to uh, get to call out of this stuff. I would say that constipation is what you're describing and yes. what adequately <laughs> sort of summarizes the Aaron Rodgers Packers offense right now. Yeah, you're, yeah, you got some blockage, you know? You don't get to... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and it showed today with the Packers, like they, they had like 230 yards of offense, right? Like they just, you don't even have enough plays to, to really get going and to, to see what prolific offenses do. And I think you just want more swings, right? You want more at-bats, like you want more opportunities and reps to 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 make plays. You're, you're never sustaining a drive, right? So you're only really relying on a huge explosive play to ever score or to get the ball inside the 10, you know? And it, it's just, it's just, it's it's a hard way to do it. It's it's not sustainable. Uh, and equally on the flip side, what lost the game for Green Bay? You know, it's because 
this was obviously it was a, it was a two point game. There was plenty of time for this Green Bay offense to get the ball back in what would be a game winning field goal to Aaron Rodgers, right? Yes. Like, there was three minutes plus in this game uh, with all three timeouts for this defense to get a stop. And on the flip side of this, they couldn't get off the field. And Jair Alexander could not cover Terry McLaurin. Terry's your guy, man. This was your guy in Washington. Tell me about Scary Terry. Yeah, Scary Terry, man. I, he's like one of my favorite teammates kind of ever. Like, first off, he was a two-time captain at Ohio State. And, you know, he and I happened to play for the same college coach in Urban Meyer. From my understanding, he's the only two-time captain ever for Urban at Ohio State. So this is a guy that just has uh, incredible leadership skills. With that being said, Terry was never the number one receiver at Ohio State. In fact, I don't think he was ever the number two receiver. Like this guy was always like the third or fourth option, but he was an incredible special teams guy. Like this guy was renowned for being one of the best special teams players coming out of college football when we drafted him in Washington. With that being said, he's this, he never had the, the like, persona that comes with being the number one receiver, Pablo, right? Like the, right. Like, get me the ball. I I got this, you know, like just- You like that he didn't scream at you. I'm beginning to no, realize. No, in fact, it's funny you say that. Yes, I did like that he didn't scream at me. But on the flip side, there were times, Pablo, I wanted him. Like I almost, you almost had to like push him, you know, his rookie year and his second year. Like he like didn't know how good he was, you know, that, that he was this just a monster, just this incredibly physically gifted. But Terry- is one of the most competitive receivers I've ever played with. Mm. He's a guy that you could throw, when he's covered one-on-one, -on -one, throw him the ball because good stuff's going to happen. He's going to come down with it. It's going to be a PI. He is going to go compete his tail off for that ball. And um, that's really rare. And in the second half of this game, I mean, he single-handedly, I think, won this ball game uh, for Washington. He had a huge play down the sideline for the touchdown. Uh, that Heineke hit him on, put it right on the money. First down and 10, Washington at the plus 37. Heineke throwing in first down, one-on-one -on -one coverage, looking end zone. McLaurin makes the catch in coverage into the end zone. Touchdown. Commanders take the lead. But then again, in the four-minute situation, when they had to seal off this game, three different times they went to him when he was manned up on Jair Alexander, who's one of the best corners in football, and he won every single time. Empty backfield, three receivers left, two to the right. Snap to Heineke, has time, throws as he's hit, and it is caught by McLaurin out of the far right sideline, covered tightly by Jair Alexander. McLaurin came up. And basically put this game away. I mean, I know it, it, it came down to the desperation play at the end, but this Green Bay defense couldn't get off the field on third down, and Terry was, he, he had it rolling, and it was fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, look, the Packers lose that way, 23 to 21. And yes, Taylor Heineke, your former backup, who had a stint in the XFL before he got to Washington, he ends up being one of two former XFL quarterbacks to get enormous wins. And the second one we should talk about here is just P.J. Walker in Carolina, man. And so this is the guy who fells Tom Brady, right? This is the other part of this whole dynamic is that Tom Brady and the Bucks. They get one of the worst losses on their record now um, by losing to the Panthers 21 to three, right? This is the team that had just traded Christian McCaffrey to the Niners. They're tanking, Pablo. They're tanking. They're more or less actively <laughs> trying to lose games. 
And so what did you notice today in Charlotte as the greatest quarterback of all time struggled to a team that also, by the way, had just recently fired their coach. We should also mention that part. Yeah, uh, this was, this is a bad loss. Yeah, they, they just fired their coach a couple of weeks ago. They're trading away their best players. Uh, it's a yard sale playing against the greatest of all time, the sleeping giant in the Bucks that where everybody's just waiting to, for them to wake up. Yeah. And, and one handedly today. I mean, uh, there was nothing good, nothing good for the Bucks today. There's not a facet, not, you can't look to the, the offense, defense, special teams and say even one of these facets of the game that the Bucks played good. No. I mean, PJ Walker had all the time in the world today. I mean, they ran the ball for almost seven yards a carry against this Bucks defense that's supposed to be elite. I mean, this is supposed to be one of the a top three defense and two running backs backup third string running backs and and a second third string quarterback from the XFL outgained Tom Brady. I mean they put up more yards. Uh again they were running at a, just a ridiculous clip. Every time I watched PJ Walker drop back and throw he had all day back there. And and hats off to him. He played great today. But mm-hmm. where was the I I kept thinking where was this defensive line at? Where was the pr- pressure? This is a front seven that has always taken a ton of pride right. in being a Super Bowl caliber front. Yes. And man, that, that was an embarrassing performance uh, today on their on their end. On the flip side of that, I, I, I just can't get the image of the third play of the game out of my head, Pablo. I mean, what would have been a 65-yard touchdown pass so let's talk about this. Let's we, we're talking. You, you were talking just a second ago, Alex, about how you wanted a receiver to yell at you more. I am curious what it's like on the sideline if you're Tom Brady watching Mike Evans just drop a a as as obvious a touchdown as you'll ever see in this sport. Yeah, I mean a 65 yard touchdown pass on the third play of the game that really. You catch it. You're up seven zero. You're rolling. It's a brand new week. You're playing the you know the Panthers, and you're going to cream them. And you just threw a touchdown pass to your best receiver on a bomb, and it goes right through his hands. The snap, play action fake, dropping as Brady wants to throw long. Throws it deep downfield. Got a wide open. It's caught ball. Juggled and incomplete. Mike Evans frustrated. He had it at his fingertips. It would have been a touchdown. Yeah. Nobody near him. The defensive back fell down. Yeah, and it was one, it's one that Mike Evans doesn't drop and the defender gets twisted around and falls down so Mike Evans is all by himself Tom Brady throws a perfect ball he just isn't able to hang on to it it was obviously kind of a, a sign of of the day for the Bucks and what to come but I, what are you going to say Mike Evans is one of the most prolific had he's had the easily one of the best starts to a career in the history of football he's one of the best receivers in the game um, I mean just an incredible talent a uh, guy that we've seen make freakish circus catches routinely and today you know that's a tough one it's tough it's tough to overcome mike even said as much yes he said it after the game that he saw the life go out of us once he dropped that ball no one player is the sole reason you lose but that was definitely the biggest reason that you know i seen the life go out of us and it, did, it took me a while to get back playing you know we were taught to just play the next play but it was tough you know wide open one of the best in the game. I got to catch the game. I got to get it. He called it the biggest reason they lost the game, which may not actually be true, but certainly in the moment, I don't blame him for feeling that way. When you're that open and you're the quarterback and receiver, it's almost harder in some ways in a stadium full of people, Pablo. Like, 
when the guy's <laughs> screaming that open and you throw it because all you're thinking about is like, God, don't miss this or don't screw it up. You know, so you, you start aiming them and guiding them and then equally the receiver, like, I'm sure that ball feels like it's in the air for, you know, minutes. But that's not the reason why they lost. They lost because this is the... They, this this Bucks offense can't run the ball to save their life, Pablo. Like, they're the worst rushing offense in the NFL by a long shot. They had like 40 yards rushing today. It's just like pedestrian is not even the right adjective for it. A couple of weeks ago against Kent, when they played Kansas City, they had three yards rushing, Pablo. Three. I didn't even... This is, I'm, I'm shocked <laughs> yeah. that this wasn't a bigger deal. Pedestrian isn't the right word because pedestrians, at the very yeah. least, they do cover ground. They tend to Daniel at least Jones walk ran somewhere. For over like 110 yards today, Pablo. Freaking Bucks and Leonard Fournette and all these guys, <laughs> this big offensive line. They, I mean, couldn't get anything going. And, and that's what this offense is predicated on, right? This goes back to the Bruce Arians. Byron Leftwich has obviously taken it right from him. But this is a downhill, like no fair dodging run game, right? We are going to double team you up front, come right downhill at you. And then we're going to hard play action off of it. And we're going to push the ball down the field vertically. And they've got, obviously, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, uh, incredible talents to go do that too. But they, they just can't get to that part of that offense. They can't do that. So they're kind of resorted into trying to run all this gimmicky stuff off of it, right? They got to try to slip screens to receivers and spread you out and throw the ball underneath. But they, they really can't get to any of these big signature throws downfield that we've seen them do over the last two years. And it, it really starts with how bad they are up front. Their only hope is that this division uh, appears to be one of the worst divisions in football and that they are three and four and still leading it. And I'm just curious, right? Like uh, you, you have taken pains now to explain why everything around Tom Brady is, is struggling. What do you think it feels like to be him right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, this is one of the most competitive human beings, football players that, that I think we'll ever see. And I think if there's anybody that can get it figured out, it's him. I think there's obviously a lot of other things going on distraction-wise that unfortunately he has to deal with. No, he's a, it's a tabloid story, his family, his marriage, all of that simultaneous to his football career being now a struggle. This guy has seven rings. I, I don't think there's another thing in American sports. I don't care what you're saying, record holders, uh, that can come close to that, what he's done. And he's he he chose to come back and play one more time. And it's amazing to watch him play. And right now to see him handle, I mean, he hasn't been three and four, I think, since like 2012, um, you know, and, and so kind of new territory for him. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how they handle this, how he handles this with his team and if they can rebound, because I, I still think they have a, a ton of talent and leadership and ability on that team. Uh, certainly they, 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 they aren't playing up to their standards right now, but uh, we'll, we'll see if they can figure it out, if he can help figure it out. But you're not, you're not. Alex Smith is not yet patting the couch cushion and saying, hey, man, there's no shame in walking away. <laughs> I'm not telling him that. No, I'm not telling him that, Pablo. Uh, nope, sum that up. I, there's a lot of things I could have done with that answer, but I'm not telling Tom uh, that. I, I, I still think, I honestly, watching him play, I don't see a huge drop off at all. Uh, you know, I still think he can do it. I still mm. think he's uh, got all the tools. Uh, and I think that's the encouraging thing if you are a Bucks fan out there. 
Alex, you're way too good as, a, as ever at reading a defense. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. <Robert. laughs> I gave you bait. <laughs> Thank you, dude. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.